Why are you not satisfied with my flesh? Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin had thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself. And my eyes shall not behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. If you say, how will we pursue him, and the root of the matter is found in him, be afraid of the sword. For wrath brings the punishment of the sword, that you may know there is a judgment. Please keep your Bibles open. Spaces on the front row, and um, uh, yeah, she's she's getting ready for a holiday tomorrow. No, she's not. She's um she's actually looking after the girls. They're not very well, but they'll be better soon, I'm sure. And um, there are some spaces on the front row as well. If you want to come a bit closer to this fan here, um, come on down. Why not? I mean, Tom Tom doesn't buy it. I don't think. Okay, not on Sundays though. I've heard it's Sundays the exception. Great. Um, It's wonderful to see you all. Um, Please keep your Bibles open, as I just haven't. Let's pray, shall we? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for what we've just been singing about. Thank you that and that you are the resurrected one and you will resurrect us uh, to new life. Uh, when that day comes for us to die, um, that is not the end. And Lord, as we look at this uh, chapter today, we pray that you'd help us. Um, we know that in our flesh we are weak. Um, please would you help us to hear from you. Would you speak to us by your spirit? And would you change us, we pray. Amen. Is God for me or against me? Is God for me or is he against me? That would be a good way of summarising, wouldn't it? How the question that Job is asking in all that's going on in his life. Is God for me or is he against me? Because what suffering feels like is that God is against you. What can confirm, this is the question we're going to look at, what can confirm in these moments, in the pit of the suffering, that God is still for Job? What will confirm to him that? Well, the answer to that question is that Job has a redeemer who lives. That's what he says. I know that my Redeemer lives. We've seen that Job isn't in denial about his situation. 
He's not shell-shocked. You know, when people are shell-shocked, they don't really understand what's going on or what's just happened. We've heard Job say again and again and again exactly what's happened in most vivid, vivid detail. He's squaring up to it better than anyone else. He's calling it what it is. Job's not also, as the friends have accused him of doing, doing away with the fear of God. Do you remember that last week? They said that Job is doing away with the fear of God, with his um, idea that you can be innocent. Job is not belittling suffering and he's not belittling sin for one moment. And yet we find that even in the same breath of expressing what he is thinking, God, you're against me. He can't help but go to God. It's sort of that paradox, isn't it? God, you're against me, but who am I directing that to? I'm directing that towards God. That thought. That confusion, that that question. Um, In this speech, um, and this is why we're just focusing on those verses in 21 to 29 of chapter 19. In Job's speech, um, this is the turning point. There's a big shift that happens. I don't know if you noticed it when when Ruth read it. Um, The shift is this. It will appear on the screen. Uh, Verse 21, what's his plea? And who's he asking that of? Not God. His friends, right. So he's asking in, in that verse, he's saying, Have friends, please be for me because God is against me. And then look down with me at verse um, 28. If you say how we will pursue him and the root of the matter is found in him, be afraid of the sword. For wrath brings the punishment of the sword that you may know that there is a judgment. It's a big shift, isn't it? Oh, at the start, Job's saying, go easy on me, because God seems to be against me. Why don't you be for me, if no one else? It's a plea. And yet at the end, in verse 29, friends, be afraid if you're against me. So, so you've got to ask the question, what comes in the middle? What's the bit in the middle that causes this big shift? Between Job saying, please. Go easy on me, please, before me. And him saying, this is, this is a warning to you. It's a big shift, isn't it? Uh, well, there's those verses that Ruth read in verses 23 to 28. And that really, uh, 27. And this middle bit is just five, is, is five verses. And I thought about what we could look at tonight. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to be hot. You guys are going to be hot and bothered. Let's not do the whole chapter or two chapters. Let's just look at five verses, and that's what we're going to do. Okay. And um, so, what is it in those five verses that just changes the whole scene, the whole landscape for Job? Well, it's it's that he goes from thinking God is against me, or to knowing that God is for him, and this is how he knows that. He says, "I know that my redeemer lives." And at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold, and not another. Five verses that show us that God is a redeemer. That God is Job's redeemer in this moment. 
and he will be the redeemer, the one who redeems him after death. And actually, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian yet, it's worth listening in to this, because these five verses will show you what the Christian's hope is built on. It will sum it up really well. I'm sure anyone here would be happy to answer your questions about what that hope is, after any questions you have about this. Um, and if you are a Christian, this should um, really remind you of what your hope is, what your hope already is, and give that to you all the, all the brighter, all the more, more radiant. And then what I'm hoping it will do is it will cause us to want others to share that hope. Okay? Because where Job ends up with this is verses 28 to 29. Evangelism. (laughs) Verses 28 to 29 is a plea to the friends. Get on board with this. I don't want you to face judgment. So what I'm hoping is that as we look at these five verses, as we look at them together, think about them, remind ourselves of the hope that we have, that we would be led like Job to see that's such a bright hope, that's such a wonderful hope. Why would we not speak of it to others? Um, so that's where we're going with this. Verses 20, uh, 23 to 27 then. After death, Job will see God, for his Redeemer lives. After death, Job will see God, for his Redeemer lives. If you remember back in chapter 29, we heard Job longing for someone as an arbiter between him and God. Someone who could lay his hand on God and someone who could lay his hand on Job. A divine yet human person who could take God's wrath away or rod. Um, In chapter 16, it grew to a confident hope, didn't it, last week, of a witness in heaven. He said, I know I have a witness in heaven, one who will testify for me. And here, Job's bright confidence is built even more. And this is the crescendo. It's, it's no wonder they take, took this Handel's Messiah, I think it was, they took this as a sort of crescendo of the whole piece. Because, for I know my Redeemer lives. For this guy in this situation is, is amazing. It's jaw-dropping. These are actually the most hope-filled words you could ever hear. Because if you think about what lack of hope there should be coming from this man all else is lost you'd expect you wouldn't expect this and yet these are hope-filled words probably the most in the whole bible i know that my redeemer lives his confidence and if you're a christian here today your confidence is that you have a redeemer who lives that god is your redeemer and we're going to have a think about what that means a redeemer or in the original language, Goel, uh, was someone who was tied to you by a covenant. It was usually, therefore, a family member or relative whose calling it was to stand for you. So they were covenantly bound, contractually bound to stand for you, particularly when things go wrong or when you're wronged by other people. So does everyone, everyone remember when we did Ruth? Um, what did they say about Boaz? Um, he is your kinsman, kinsman redeemer, right? <laughs> Um, that term is, he will be the one who will legally stand in the gap and be your representative, your advocate, your vin- vindicator. So if you're murdered, he'll see to it that your murderer is punished. 
If your share in the promised land is under threat, he will safeguard or buy it back. If your widow is childless, he ensures that your name will not be lost. You see what it is? It's sort of security. And Christopher Ash says this, In every way, the Goel, or Redeemer, stood for you when you could not stand for yourself. That's what it means, Redeemer. He goes on to mention that example of Boaz and Ruth. Boaz is the one who can be Ruth's kinsman redeemer. So for the ever-living God to be Job's redeemer is massive. If your security is in the one who lives forever, who is in charge of all things and can never die, Job is eternally secure. Whatever may come or happen to him. So you can see how he shifted that, why that would move him to see, yes, at the start I was feeling like everything was, that I needed the friends to get behind me. But now he's seeing where his true security lies in God. And um, he says, at the last, the Redeemer will stand on the earth, literally like the dust that Job is standing on. God will stand here. I'm going to move from here very soon. But God is going to be here on this earth. And even if I'm in the ground, dead and buried, he will call me forth and raise me to new life. The last voice Job will hear is not the well-wishers at his deathbed or family members or even the torment of the friends, gloating, but the voice of God calling him from the grave. At the last, he will stand on the earth. I know that my Redeemer lives. And then it causes this. doesn't put it in these words, but you might as well put it in these words. Uh, Paul was right when he wrote it in Romans chapter 8 after his massive celebration of what God has done in in salvation, he says this, if God is for me, who can be against me? If God is for me, Job realizes now, God is for me. I have a redeemer. God is my redeemer. God is for me. And of course, the who, who can be against me is not saying, oh, no one can be against me. Like there can't be any opposition, is it? We know that. That's not what it's saying. But the big shift is when Job is pleading, is in what Job pleads with his friends for. When he thought God was against him, he needed them to go easy on him. That's what he thought his his biggest need was. But if God is his redeemer, Job's plea is for them to repent. Uh, We're going to look at this uh, in Romans 8. So if you switch in your Bibles to Romans 8, um, get that ready. New Testament equivalent. Uh, It's in verse 31, and we'll read all the way down to the end of the chapter. And we're thinking, what does this mean for us today? And I want you to listen out as I read. 
Have the trials that Paul describes here, have they gone away? That's the question I want you to think about as I read. Have the trials gone away? What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There's a two-letter word in there, which I think is probably the bit that holds it all together, right? Can anyone, does anyone know what it says? Just after it says no, in all these things, right? The list, the list comes first. Shall these things separate us from the love of God in Christ? No, in all these things, not out of all of these things. In, through all these things, we are more than conquerors. So what that verse means is that the perspective on these things is not that they suddenly go away or we imagine them away. But in these things, God is for me. And if God is for me, who can be against me? Uh, Job's perspective has changed. If God is for him, then the prospects, the situation hasn't changed, but the prospects for him and for his friends have changed. Or he sees them as they really are. And what are the prospects for Job? Well, we've heard about it, haven't we? <laughs> um, my heart, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. And after my skin has thus been destroyed, that all that's going to happen. That's the prospect for Job. But it's also true that the prospect for the friends is all the clearer. Because it's true, isn't it? That those who are against God's people are against God himself. Those who are against those who God has, whom God has saved are against God himself. And the prospect for them is in that verses 28 to 29. So switch back to Job. Sorry, I'm jumping around a bit. 28 to 29. If you say how we will pursue him, and the root of the matter is found in him, be afraid of the sword, for wrath brings the punishment of the sword, that you may know there is a judgment. So the prospect for those who don't have God as their redeemer, who are against God in the end, is this be afraid. And actually be afraid of some of the things that happen now. 
not because they themselves are the direct judgments for sin, but because they show that there is a judgment that is coming. That's what um, Jesus responded to when they asked about that tower that fell down. You know, what, what happened here? Did the people sin? He said, um, these things happened so that you may know that a judgment is coming, that you may repent before you perish. So for those who don't yet know Christ, who are actually against him, this is the prospect. And it changes it. Job sees that all the more clearly, doesn't he? Through seeing that God is his redeemer. And rather than asking them to help him, he is the one pleading for them. Rather than him saying saying to them, will you go easy on me? He's saying, do you see what's coming? Completely shift, isn't it? Completely change. And um, this is what I want um, us to think about as Christians is, will this truth change the way that we see our persecution as Christians? Will the truth that God is our redeemer, that when our, at the last he was stands upon the earth and our skin has been destroyed, yet we will see God, will this actually change us in the way that we respond to those who persecute us? Because for Job it did. For Job, he's no longer pleading with them to go easy on them. Him. He's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm fearful for you. I'm fearing for you. Be afraid. And I think, actually, if I'm honest with myself, I'm, I, I get to the pity party quite quickly as a Christian. I think, okay, all oh, secular, atheistic environment, you know, a bit more liberal, lots of things we can't do as Christians. And I'm sort of saying, oh, well, you know, guys, let's just hunker down and wait until Jesus returns, right? No. If God is our redeemer, we have nothing to fear. And actually, we have a message because other people have things to fear from him. And so, this should really transform how we pray for those who persecute us. We'll become more and more like Jesus, actually, who says, who did pray for those who persecuted him. And he told us to love our enemies. And you wonder, how can you love your enemy? Well, you pray that they would be saved. You pray that they would be saved because they are facing a judgment that you no longer have to face. And so I think if, if for Christians here, that really is the application, isn't it? That Job is saying, be afraid of the sword. He comes to the point where if God is his redeemer, his, who lives and cannot be removed then he wants to tell those who need to hear it about judgment. That's it. That's what he wants to do. Because they need to hear it. And the people that we meet with throughout the week, they need to hear it. And we heard about Nineveh, didn't we? Those rotten people who were 120,000 people, and they heard about judgment, and that was the thing that woke them up. And they repented with sackcloth and ashes in their huge numbers and you think yeah we don't need to be going on 
to each other about the things that we're not allowed to do as Christians and sort of say, oh, woe is us, you know, we're not allowed to do these things. Isn't it so hard for Christians here? Now, some of that might be true, and I'm not saying we can't pray for each other in that, in the workplace, if we feel that that's what's happening. But why don't we pray for the people who are persecuting us? Why don't we pray for them? Because if God is the Redeemer, then we have nothing to fear. Um, So why don't we pray um, in light of that? And we're going to use these words from here. Um, They'll appear on the screen. Uh, We're going to pray this prayer. Let's pray together. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. Amen.